Welcome to Know Your Options, the Measured Risk Podcast. The ultimate guide to navigating the volatile nature of the markets while managing risk purposefully. Join us as we challenge the theory behind traditional asset allocation and dive into the mathematics of investing. Whether you are a seasoned investor or just starting out, this podcast offers valuable insights and practical advice to help you make informed decisions and manage your money wisely. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of calculated risks together. So welcome to the show today. It is the Know Your Options podcast, the Measured Risk Show. And we have today Dan Passarelli. He is a option maestro and market taker mentoring uh, and educator. And so we're actually really excited to have a person who's deeply involved in the options trade on our show today. So we can delve into that. Bernard and I are huge fans, Mm -hmm. built a whole strategy around it. So we're looking forward to talking to you and see how it is that you view options in a client portfolio or in, in the use and sort of touch base on that. So why don't you first start about uh, telling us about how you got into this side of the business? Sure. And first of all, thanks uh, so much for having me. Really excited to be here. So yeah, I graduated college. I went to school in Chicago and went what apparently is the non-traditional route, but I guess I didn't know any better back then. My kid tells me that nobody would ever do this today, but I printed up a stack of resumes and I literally knocked on every door of the Chicago Board of Trade Building, handing out those resumes. And lo and behold, I got a job that way. Yeah. Making $9,000 a year right out of college for a figure salary. (laughs) I figure it was like paying for graduate school. Is that expensive in foregone salary that I guess I could have made if I would have went a more conventional route. But yeah, I started as a runner and worked my way up to clerk, which got me an extra couple thousand dollars a year. And and finally realized that there were people called backers who looked for people who understood how options work and would basically give them money to trade and split it. So I figured out how options work <laughs> and, and found myself one of them. And, and that's what I did for a number of years down on the trading floor. What a cool story, man. And I just love the whole idea of the perseverance of knocking on all those doors and here I am, here I am. How many rejections did that take before you finally got it? All right, kid, come on over here. We'll try you out for a while for a day or two. Oh my just, God, a ton. Like I got one job offer. Oh man, it was like a cold, rainy April day too, man. Ugh. Isn't Chicago known for that? Cold winter. <laughs> yeah, we, if two seasons too hot or too cold. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We've typically been having other RIAs and investment advisors on the show. You're the first educator. Actually, that's we had somebody else from SIBO. Correct. Uh, but you're the first educator that actually has students all around the globe, frankly. So what is your curriculum or how, how do you build a curriculum? What's the general shape of this? And what are you trying to help students achieve or understand about options? Yeah. In the beginning, it was just basically the nuts and bolts of how options work. Uh, the Greeks, that was my first book was on the Greeks. Um, and then I just had so many people ask me, yeah, but you know, what exactly are the steps to make a, a, a good trade? And so I, I broke down and, and started really thinking about it. And since then I've created several trading systems that we teach. So for people who are newer to options and or people who maybe they have experience, but they only like the investing side of it, covered calls and cash secured puts 
and and doing that correctly. And there's not a lot of people, I, I, I imagine you guys know, there's not a lot of people out there who really are turned on to calls and puts. And a lot of the ones who are just don't really do, who go and try to do it themselves, don't really do it well. So that's part of it. And then credit spreads and time spreads and condors. And we have an earnings trading system as well. Interesting. Okay. So there's lots of techniques there. Is there any one that you are aware of that is the most attractive to people or is the most easy to digest or how would you... It's one that makes them the most money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say the one that has the broadest appeal that can benefit the most people would be our, I, I call it the smart income system. And it's all about the the wheel strategy, which is covered calls and cash cured puts and really being able to, to think through your objectives on it and meet them and not just put on a covered call and say, or please the cash cured puts. Like how many times have you talked to somebody in this business who says, oh yeah, I'll sell the puts at the 440 strike. And if I get assigned, yeah, I'm totally okay getting assigned. <laughs> and then yeah. 420 and they're like, what happened? This is the end of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you're assigned at 440 and the next thing is trading at 360. You're like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. Just like helping guide people's internal expectations and to come up with a real plan and a real strategy because when you do it with that sort of, with that planning, that's when it becomes powerful, if you ask me. So, yeah. So for investors, that, and then I, I guess for traders, I think our, maybe our best performing is our credit spread system and our earning system. Beautiful. Are you seeing any particular challenges like in the, because again, you have students all around the world, as far as I understand. Do they all mostly trade in the U.S. or they're trading on other markets? Or what are some of the challenges that they're dealing with trading internationally or just anything that comes to mind? Yeah, yeah, we do have students in over 50 countries. Uh, I would say maybe 70% of them live in the U.S. And the ones that don't mainly trade U.S. markets, they're just more liquid for the I don't even think I need to qualify that by saying for the most part, they're just, yeah, you know, they're better. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly U S markets. Yeah. No, Cause you know, I'm fine from South Africa and had left there many years ago, but I just remember that the whole, the little bit I looked at the options market and it was so thinly traded. The spreads were just so wide. There was no opportunity to do anything other than just be assured of a loss. <laughs> almost. Yeah. It's just, so it was, it was just that crazy. Um, so what what are some of the big kind of seminal moments you've had in your life in terms of the journey you've taken and your exposure to options, recognizing perhaps that most people don't really have much familiarity with options? It's interesting to me that's where you decided to go first and fresh out of college, you were like, I want to go work at CBOE. It's, can you just share with us a little bit about how, like, what attracted you to the options markets? Because personally, I'm, I'm just, I think it's a fascinating market. Larry, I know, loves it. So if you can share some of your own experiences in that regard. Yeah, it started out serendipitous and then maybe stubbornness. <laughs> and then passionness. I don't know if that's a word, but yeah, options, listed option trading was started in Chicago. Um, yeah. and, and that's really where, that's really where it still is the, the yeah. king. And after college, I went looking for a job and we have the Board of Trade and Merck as well, which are the commodities exchanges. And that was my first job as a runner there. But 
the options market started getting pretty hot uh, right when I had figured out options and started looking for a backer. So I moved across the street, literally. <laughs> the company that I work for actually said, hey, look, we want you to go over to the SIBO. Is that okay? We'll give you a, a raise. And I said, okay, sure. <laughs> and then I did, and I started clerking for some people. And that's where I realized, oh, wait, this isn't just a, a lot of nepotism. <laughs> it's not just like a bunch of rich guys whose dads or uncles gave them a bunch of money to trade. There are people who will back you. And so I found this whole world that I didn't even know really existed. Wow. And then fast forward seven, eight years later, the market started getting pretty competitive with multiple listing and long story short, the exchange asked me to come and teach classes for them. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was skeptical. I was of the mindset that those who can do and those who can't teach. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give this a try. Right now, the market's pretty slow anyway. And I found that that was my calling. And it sounds a little bit sappy, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> it's my way to give, to give back. Because when I was a market maker, no one ever patted me on the shoulder and said, oh, day 10, thank you so much for standing in the pit and trading all day. But when I started working with individual traders, I, I did get that. I still do. And I, trading options gave me a really good life. And it's my way to return that and still stay involved in it. What did you study in college? Just as a matter of interest. Finance. Okay. So, so it's somewhat re related fields because sometimes we get people who study completely unrelated things and just end up. Yeah. I was an English writing major. Oh. Uh, and, and now I amuse myself with option spreads and, and deals. <laughs> Your, let's say, education allows people to learn how to maybe grow an account and protect it at the same time. So Talk us through a strategy that might look like that using options in, in a just general sense. Not a recommendation, of course, but just as a strategy. Yeah, of course. We're sitting a, in a market while we're recording this. So I'm sure people will be watching the recording of this. But where there are some people who are saying, wow, the RSI is for just the market in general is really high. 50% of stocks are still below the 200-day moving average. Maybe there's going to be a pullback. We've got some resistance here. I want to fade the rally at this point, just hypothetically. Okay, you, you can do that. And, and that could make sense. But fading, as we all know, fading rallies can be pretty dangerous when you're on, especially when we have all that strength. So we always want to put on a position that, that protects us. Because if we are wrong, we don't want to have just massive losses. We want to have limited losses. A credit spread, we, we might sell something like the two-week out 465 calls and buy the 470 calls in, in the spiders. And if we do and we're right and it's and they stay below 465, then all everything you collected on that spread can potentially be a profit unless you close it early, which I generally recommend. But but if you're wrong, you have limited loss. And what's nice about those is that they end up being high probability positions. When constructed properly, you will statistically have more winners than losers. So if you are able to manage the trades properly, it, it can be a pretty strong play when used over and over again, and, and you do it well. And in the 
when just we could talk about our strategy a little bit, just to get your thoughts on it. We actually have a synthetic equity. That's our deal. And I'm sure you're familiar with structured notes yeah. and some of the index products that are out there with insurance companies. And our thinking was that rather than limiting the amount of option premium to the future earnings on the bond interest, because that's how these things are built with a zero coupon bond that gives you a discount, that we would actually just take the equity risk approach and say, listen, we're not looking for a zero loss position in the overall portfolio. And if you're prepared to take a 5% loss or a 10% loss or a 15% loss, each incremental risk budget that you you know, agree to on the front end gives you more buying power to deploy into options. And as a result, our measured risk portfolio strategy is really just that. It's a straightforward, we buy calls with a relatively long duration, not leaps, but you know, about a year out. So we're not de- dealing with uh, a tremendous amount of rapid time decay. Mm-hmm. And then we will monetize that option as soon as we get an opportunity to. So we don't use spreads. We're just doing net long on the call side. And we gross it up so that we have a chance to overcome the not one-to-one delta that we have or the participation rate with the option contracts versus the movement on the underlying uh, bench. So this, from our perspective, is a great opportunity to literally just do synthetic equity because the losses are limited to the amount we've paid for the option. We have uh, plenty of time for the portfolio to allow the market to, to rise. And if we're wrong and the market goes straight down, we still have potentially up to a year for it to recover and mount a rally back. Mm-hmm. And if we're wrong, we lose the option premium, less whatever we earn back on our bond ballast. Yeah. And it's interesting. That's not really talked about. You know, that strategy, mm-hmm. we have covered calls, certainly gets a lot of press. The credit spreads mm-hmm. get a lot of press. The condors and other type of things. And a lot of that, though, has very specific pricing in in its premise. Options are magical because they they bring a lot of leverage to the party. Um, But you still have to have a thesis. And the thesis, for instance, on your 465 question needs to be that on balance, statistically, the market doesn't move up this much during this period of time and whatever that time period is. And you're hoping to stay within those metrics. And in our approach, we just go, we don't have any idea when the market's going to mount a rally or how big it's going to be or how fast it's going to be. Um, and, and it's just allows it to just be out there. And if the rally comes, we monetize it. If it doesn't come, we suffer losses, but we have a cap on the losses. I'd be interested in sort of, cause I, I assume that's not one of your sleeves that you talk about, or is it? Generally, no. So the calls would be what someone in the money, maybe. No, they're a little out of the money, actually. They're, a they're just a touch out of the money, right? Because yeah. we participate really well, but we end up with, since we're talking shop, and for those of you who may not be option specialists, uh, we're going to use some jargon, and you can always reach out to either Dan or ourselves, and we can fill in on what the details are here. But generally speaking, an at-the-money call is going to have a delta or a participation rate of roughly 50%. It's a given sort of metric that most things start with. And that just means that if the underlying index goes up 1%, we can expect our option to move up a half percent. But in order to compensate for that, we'll buy something like 170% notional exposure to our underlying securities. We're not getting 100% up there. We're not trying to double up, but we're we're definitely taking a bigger bite of the apple. And again, in, in math, that means 
$100,000 portfolio, we're going to have about $170,000 worth of notional exposure. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're priced out. And we're also trying to keep our budget to what we think of as small, but probably historically for the industry is large, an allocation of between, say, 8 to 12% of the portfolio in total goes into long call options, oh. which is a pretty big bite, right, comparatively. <laughs> Yeah. So that's kind of what Eve said to Adam. Right, it's exactly. a big bite of the apple there. Yeah. <laughs> and and then so then most of the rest goes in into bonds. Yeah, all the rest, actually. All, all the rest. There is no other sleeve. There's no other component. And we're we we're just phobic on volatility in that piece because we're taking hundred percent risk of loss on the let's call it the ten percent allocation. And we really have no budget for any losses on the ninety. And then I think what separates our strategy from the traditional kind of approach with that, either a structured note or an index product, is that they're all generally time-based, a year, 18 months, five years, even point-to-point. And they'll typically have some kind of participation rate and or a cap or both. Um, And we don't have a cap. One of the key things that Bernard and I wanted to do in our sort of synthetic equity approach is to not cap the returns when the market hits hard. We don't want to be satisfied with a 2x or a 3x on the option, but not have enough of it mm-hmm. to move the portfolio. Yeah. So we, we instead, we monitor that risk return daily. And when there is, as, as the market's rising, then that initial delta, let's just say it was 50%, is going to start rising to say 60 or 65 or 70%. And as it rises, and because of our over-notionalized allocation, we actually will start to exceed the return mm-hmm. at the portfolio level of the index. So initially, we might be a little soft on participation, but within a few hundred basis points of market movement, we typically will, will run ahead of it. And we run that for a little while. It's a, it's a balancing act, but we're paying attention to the participation rate as well of the, as the actual absolute risk in the portfolio in order to then make a decision to sell that particular option tranche and take the profits and we put it into the safety of the treasury basket. And then we re-roll the residual amount to reset the risk level. And it's a sort of a rising tide behind the option engine. As long as the market's going in the right direction. Right, exactly. It's going out. Yeah. And then um, what's interesting about that, there's like a few interesting advantages there that basically I would call that the gamma benefit, where when the market's going up and your delta is getting bigger, you're making money at an increasing rate. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be those times when it goes down, but your delta gets smaller then and you lose money at a decrease er, at a decreasing rate, right. um, which is a nice little benefit of, of long options. Um, and you, end, you ended up catching a little wind in your sails, uh, I think, from row because when interest rates go up that makes calls more valuable especially longer term calls and i don't think it was a major uh, component that uh, affected things but a little bit extra profit ends up getting squeezed out because of that not to mention the money that's sitting in bonds the newer bonds that you buy you get to make a higher rate of return on which is nice too right. exactly no so it's just it's interesting that, that isn't an approach that's really out there. It's, it's structured in structured notes and wrapped into credit products. 
again, not really equity based so much as in our mind, more of a bond in disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the insurance products that are out there marketing these things. Well, I, I think, Larry, I, I think the reason for that probably our participation, as we both know, at the lower performance numbers is, is not. It's not a strong point. No, not at all. So yeah, when the market has a a 1% or a 2% net return, there isn't enough movement to overcome the time value because we we have a significant amount of time value decays working against us. Yeah, Uh, That's the headwind that we have. So we do need to have a rate of change to the upside that is fast enough to overcome that decay. And that is the weakness in the strategy. And I think that what might well be that most big firms want to try and capture those smaller returns. As we've noticed mm-hmm, with the right. products we've seen out there where from zero to 10, you'll make you know, all of it, but then you give up the rest of it. And the, when you look at the sequence of returns on numbers, I think you're far better off getting that 30% number that, you know, when it arrives at perhaps even at the expense of giving up those threes and fours from time to time when they arrive. So it's just, I think it's just a different metric, but it's, it's a way of thinking about it. I think. Mm-hmm. We just looked at it a bit differently. It doesn't mm-hmm. make it bad. It just makes it different. So, yeah, that's cool. How have you seen like, the advances in technology impacting both your students and yourself? You said that you did this, you started doing this when you were fresh out of college. I'm not sure, you know, how old you are. And it's not required disclosure, so don't worry about that. But I imagine that uh, there's been some changes in the te- in the technology aspect of this from working in the, in, in, in the pits and... Oh, my goodness. Yes. (laughs) Holy moly. Uh, Yeah, it's impacted my career in every single way possible. One is early on, the small amount of electronic trading that started early on brought more people into the market, which was great for us market makers. And then shortly after that, the technology that occurred linking up multiple exchanges and basically digitizing option trading instead of open outcry, taking it from fractions, trading in 16ths to nickels, that, that ended up being a little bit of a challenge. And then, then I go to decide to teach options because that was an interesting journey as well. It's always a, an adventure trading options. <laughs> but yeah, I started out my journey on the trading floor and you make every single type of trade known to man thousands of times. Uh, trial by fire, I learned options on the trading floor. Yeah. And then when I worked for the CBOE, then I had a great mentor, Jim Bittman, who taught me how to teach options. Mm. And then I decided I understand how options work. I understand how to teach them. I can provide great benefit. I'm going to start a business teaching people how to trade options. And this goes, if you've ever read the book, The E-Myth. Um, yes, I love it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's some other yeah. shelf. And the E-Myth's revisited. I think it's Michael Gerber, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was a lot of things that I didn't know about the things I needed to know about running a business on how to do this. And I decided, well, I'm going to build my own website. So I got to learn how to build a website and spent a lot of time spinning my wheels trying to figure out things that... Now I realize I can just pay somebody to do, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's that technology that's really, oh my goodness. It's transformed this industry yeah. so much. Yeah. It's been nice experience as well. It's one of those things where we, I remember the very first time I started trading options for a client account and 
you know, you had to build the, like every component of the trade individually. And it took seven minutes to almost, I'm exaggerating, just to pick up a match <laughs> to, to, to pick and choose each leg and then hit him a submit button. And I had to hit my finger to actually hit the submit button. And <laughs> to now we, we, there's tools that we use that are just so intuitive. And so it's just so much easier just yeah. on, on the actual, just from the purely from the trading. And yet much to my, Surprise and somewhat chagrin. There's still some platforms out there that are still back where we were. And again, I'm not going to mention firms by name here, but there, there are still some out there which I'm like, really? That, that's how you do it there? Huh. Speaking of firms, we had that recent, like, I guess, the absorption or merger or acquisition of TD Ameritrade by Schwab and that mm-hmm. incorporation. TD was very much a option driven kind of environment. What do you make any recommendations for trading platforms related to options? There are only a couple really here in the US, but do you have a, a top place that you trade at or that you think is really well suited for option trading? Yeah, I've had several accounts in several places. And I think I still have several accounts in several places, but I made I mainly trade through Thinkorswim. Uh, and I think people are always well, and through Fidelity for my IRA. <clears throat> And with Thinkorswim, that was, it was built a long time ago, but the, they did a very good job with it. And people are always asking me, yeah, now that Schwab is going to do it, do you think they're going to get rid of Thinkorswim? And I just say, I hope not. I would imagine that's one of the reasons they bought TD Ameritrade. Yeah, I would think it's here to stay. Yeah, I would think so too. Yeah, so I mean, that, 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 that platform is what we trade on as well. It's got a slightly different name in the institutional space. It's Think Pipes, but it's the... Same chassis as Thinkorswim. Do, do you all have to deal with client, like markets are doing this or that, whatever? Do you have any of your students calling you somewhat in a panic because of a trade they put on and it's gone the other way? I, I imagine you have to deal with that on more than one occasion. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. How, <laughs> how many hours does this podcast go? <laughs> well, give us one of your favorite stories yeah. about, without mentioning the name of the client yeah. specifically. <laughs> okay, so this is – so I was – on a podcast and the podcast uh, host called me up and said, Hey, listen, there was somebody who was listening to our podcast and he's in trouble. He wants to see if he can talk to you. So I said, okay, here's my phone number or whatever. And so I'm talking to this guy on the phone. So not a client, just a a guy. I'm just trying to, I'm willing to listen to and see what I can do. I don't know. So it turns out that he was, he had a different career unrelated to option trading, uh, which many, many of our student traders do. Yeah. And was towards the end of that career had, I want to say, said he made like $800,000 in his IRA and he was down to $300,000, like lost a half a million dollars doing something with options. And he's, can you help me? (laughs) I'm like, what I can't do is wave a magic wand and poof, make the money come back. It doesn't work that way. Yes, six six numbers. Try the lottery. See how that works out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There you go. But I go, if you're going to continue, like, you should probably not be in position. He's, oh, I'm in this position, whatever the stack was. It was like headed down. I'm like, what do you think the stack will continue doing? I think it's going to keep going down. Okay, well, your longest stack that you think is going to keep going down, 
maybe you shouldn't be in that position. (laughs) (laughs) And so I go, look, here's what to do. Like we, there's no magic wand. I can't give you a PDF to read and boom, there it is. I can't even give you like a, a short little class. I can dig in and coach you one-on-one. And that's one of the things that we do. And I told him how much it would be. And this is our individual time. It's not $50. It's uh, some of them more than that, but you get what you pay for. And he's, I I think I'll just take my chances. (laughs) I don't know, man. Really? I mean, the easiest suggestion would just be just do the opposite of what you're thinking. Right. (laughs) Because that would have you at 1.3 million or something like that. But what's the first thing to do when you've dug yourself into a hole? The very first thing to do is stop digging. Stop digging. (laughs) (laughs) Just stop digging. Terrible. I have a question about do you. Do you pay attention or track whether or not your students are professionals or amateurs? Um, I try to. And the ones that we end up building close relationships with, we're able to just ask ask them verbally. Mm-hmm. And some are. We, have, we actually have some that are people who are RIAs or whatever who aspire to, to have the skills that you guys have and help clients through options, which is great. I wish... I don't want to say I wish you'd have more competition, but <laughs> I wish more money managers, people who are out there helping people like yourselves would use this wonderful tool. I second that completely. I just wish there was greater knowledge of what options can do because there seems to be a reasonable aversion by many people. The other word option of it, it's yeah, that is, That's really, a, I think, a tragedy in our industry because we've got there's probably a significant number of people that go through and get their Series 7 to trade professionally. Unless I'm going to date myself, but I took it a long time ago, more than 35 years ago. But then it was probably a third or more of the exam was on options. Uh-huh. And immediately after passing in my broker-dealer, in the supervisory role, I was literally instructed to put that option knowledge in a black box and put it on the shelf and never need it again. I just needed it. <laughs> You just needed it to pass the Series 7. That's it. And it was actually our experience that we went through a couple seven years worth of traditional portfolio construction, not using options, taking the tried and true diversification solves all problems. Um, before we finally came into the 2000 tech bubble bursting. And that was really the, the impetus for trying to find a different solution because we just found that all those non-correlated assets in a crisis become correlated. And they don't do their job anymore. And one of the things I love about options is that it's math, baby. And <laughs> math doesn't change, right? So the great part about an option as a tool, and if you're listening to this and you know, thinking about this, if you buy a stock for $100, you really don't have any sense of where it's going to go up. And you know that if it goes down, theoretically, you can lose $100. I can achieve similar characteristics on the upside, and have a very much defined drawdown limitation on the downside through the use of an option and control that beast so much better um, with some costs. So just like you're talking about, there's a value proposition that if you want one-on-one training, it's going to cost more than 50 bucks. And if you want someone to build a website for you, it'll also cost more than $5 (laughs) to get one done professionally. And the same thing should be asked of our option itself is that if it's going to do a good job for you, it, it will have a cost and you have to measure that cost against the benefit it brings to the portfolio. Yeah. Now, again, if you can't figure out what that is or what the metric is, then you're better off hiring somebody else to do it for you. 
you don't have to learn how to do it yourself. There's plenty of professionals that know exactly what to do with an option and how to apply it to your problem. And that's where ultimately we're in the business of doing that, solving client portfolio management, including for other RIAs. But we really encourage both individuals and RIAs and other investment advisors to really put some time into what these magical tools can do for you. I do have to add one thing. Sorry, Dan, I know you're about to say, say what you're going to say, but I do have something I want to add. Oh, I was going to follow a different path. So I'll let you go first. Well, my point, I was going to say, for those of you who aren't watching this, one of the first questions I always ask someone who's in the options trading world, I say to them, number one, tell me how much hair you have. And then if you have hair, how gray is it? And that to me is a litmus test of that you have experience with options. So I just wanted to let all of you listening to this know that Dan passes on both of them. He has hair and it's gray. So it's, it's, it's two pluses. So that's the season profession. Exactly. And the blue shirt. And the blue shirt. <laughs> right. Anyway, go ahead. You're going to go in a different direction. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. On the same path, but one of the other things that I do with options, just speaking of some of the things that options can do is, and speaking to your point, Larry, of uncorrelated volatility is an uncorrelated asset, I would say. There, there is some relationship with the underlying for sure, but it's not as correlated as typical assets. And one of the systems that we have is our earnings trading system, which I love to talk about during earnings season, but when we're out of earnings season, I don't talk about it as much. (laughs) But that's it's a fun little thing because with that, we play what I call and what a lot of people call the volatility crush. When earnings is imminent, people buy more options, which bids up the price of them. And that's it's implied volatility rising. And that can't that little nuance can create a trading opportunity in, in and of itself. And that's basically what that system's based on, which I just think is really fun because I'm not guessing direction either. Like you guys don't guess the timing because timing is very difficult to nail down. There's nobody who can do it accurately. With that system, I just completely disregard direction entirely and only focus on the volatility component of the mm-hmm. options. Right. So are you selling both sides, calls and puts, and just letting the try to collect the premium on the volatility crush when it comes in? It's what, what I do is there's certain criteria, so I don't want to qualify that. Uh, sure. But we, we, we use time spreads. And when basically I just go through a checklist on my spreadsheet and if it meets all the criteria, then it's a good favorable trade. And when we see the crush, basically the front volatility collapses more than the back volatility. And as long as you don't get too big of a gamma move, which we have a way to measure out, you've got a high probability and high edge trade. Yeah, nice. That's the contango trade. Yeah. We're coming up around to the 45 minute mark and it's about where we find most people who are listening have got losing their patience. <laughs> so, uh, and options are my sweet spot and I could talk about it for the rest of the afternoon uh, and, yeah. and on into the evening, but maybe the rest of us can't quite that much of it. <laughs> Dan, I wanted to thank you really quite a bit. I know you have something you wanted to share with us. Oh, yeah. We were talking about just the, the adventure of trading uh, and that's a journey. It's your story and your, your family's story. And we're talking about technology. So I'm going to marry these things together. I think you're going to like this. We've got this uh, really brilliant guy that runs our technology here at Market Taker named Bobby. And he figured out a way to, to create this 
pretty fun choose your own adventure video and listeners you you should check it out when you log into your computer before you check your email go to markettaker.com/no k n o w as in know your options so market like stock market taker take what's rightfully yours two t's in a row uh, markettaker.com slash no and and check it out. You'll maybe learn something about yourself, maybe learn something about options and, and it's fun. Great. Thanks very much for joining us and wish you luck with your students and I'm sure they're going to crush it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank well, you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. This interview also may contain statements that constitute endorsements of measured risk portfolios, also known as MRP. Please note that any such statements are not made by clients of MRP, but by representatives of other investment advisory firms that work with MRP. No compensation was offered or given in exchange for these statements. However, a conflict of interest exists due to the incentive to give an endorsement in the interest of a good future working relationship between the endorser and MRP.